Hey folks, welcome to the inaugural edition of the Uncensored Week in Sports. I just wrapped up watching the uh, Cowboys-Giants game, and uh, I had posted in my chat room that I thought the game was going to be a classic, but that was when I thought the score was 31-28. to In fact, the score was 31-20, to so the game wasn't a classic, and I probably should not have waited until the game was over to start the broadcast, but what can you do? Uh, I've learned that lesson, and uh, it was actually funny, at the end of the broadcast, Troy Aikman saying, basically, that the Dallas Cowboys were the second best team in the NFL, along with New England. That struck me as a really curious comment. I have a hard time getting on board with Troy, given that New England and Dallas actually have played. I think it'd be one thing if they had not played before, and that was just Troy's theory. But they actually have played, and it was a bit of a beatdown. So it strikes me as a little bit odd that Troy would take that tack, given that there was a head-to-head matchup already. Am I the only one that sees the NFC as a little bit of an inferior conference? Troy, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way that Dallas is better than Indianapolis. If Indianapolis played, they would spank the Cowboys. There's just no question in my mind about that. The best two teams in the NFL are the Pats and the Colts. Pittsburgh Steelers are third best team. I'm not quite sure how good they are. I guess we'll find out when they play New England in a couple weeks, I think. So I think those are the big three. I think Dallas may be the best of the NFC teams. Green Bay also warrants some consideration. The Giants, they just have an inferior quarterback, I think. Uh, Manning is good, but Romo is better. The Cowboys are a force to be reckoned with. I think, you know, the thing about the Super Bowl is it's one game, right? One and done. So on any given Sunday, uh, on any given Super Bowl Sunday, I think the NFC representative could potentially beat the AFC representative, but... I think it's pretty safe to say that the AFC team is going to win the Super Bowl. So, However, it could be a great game if it were, say, a best of five or a best of seven, then we'd have to look at it differently. But it's one game take all. So let me take a step back from the commentary for a moment and introduce this program and what I'm hoping to do. I have been a follower of sports for a long time, and sports sort of fits into the fabric of my week. So I listen to a lot of ESPN commentary. I have a weakness for watching the greatest athletes in the big-time sports compete at the highest level, but I also have a lot of frustrations with how sports are packaged and marketed, and I think a lot of stories that are really important are missed or underreported, or they're reported but in a commercial channel that self-edits or perhaps inflates silly opinions at the expense of real meaningful analysis. So I'm going to be a sponsor-free broadcast for the foreseeable future, and the ability to comment on whatever I see fit is a key part of what I'm going to try to do. Uh, For me, sports is about sort of the best and worst of society, and so my my commentary and my thoughts are going to hit all sides. 
in the interim, I may have some callers call in. I was not able to line up callers tonight, but I'm sure I will have some in the future. <laughs> As a funny bonus, I don't think I'm going to turn off my call waiting at first when I tape these shows. So, it's entirely possible that we will be interrupted by a call, which I will have the ability to patch through. So anyone who calls my phone during this broadcast could end up on the broadcast. That includes any telemarketers, uh, relatives, well-wishers. They will all be a part of our broadcast for the foreseeable future. Well. So that's sort of the basic structure of the show. I'm going to have some weekly features uh, that I'm going to comment on. So we'll take a look at some of those. Let's see. One thing I wanted to talk about was the Randolph – is his first name Randolph? Uh, no, I'm sorry, Brad Childress, the coach of the Minnesota Vikings. I feel like I shouldn't pile on him right now, but it was a few weeks ago when I was watching the Vikings play, and I haven't followed them too carefully this year. And it seemed like he made a really stupid decision. He threw down the red replay flag, flag excuse me. Let's try that again. He threw down the red replay flag like a petulant child for a call that was obviously not going to get overturned. And I remember thinking, God, he's a wound-up little guy. Or maybe he's not that little, but he seemed like a small man the way he was conducting himself. And <laughs> so it was kind of funny just to then watch him burst into the news uh, a couple weeks later denying wide receiver Williamson a week's pay for uh, attending to his uh, – Gram, dead grandmother's funeral, uh, PR disaster for the Vikings. I'm not going to pile on to that story too much because it's an obvious pile-on. But my question, I guess, is who in the Vikings PR department is going to be fired or demoted for that decision? Or is it all on Childress, in which case maybe he should be Dr. Week's pay for the PR hit he cost the team? And so for me... What's interesting about that situation is not even the right or wrong of it, although it clearly seems wrong. Maybe there is a justification for doing it, but wow, what a terrible PR decision that was. So I'm going to be doing a segment on the show called Winners and Losers of the Week, and Coach Childress will be one of the honorees on the losers side of the column. So congratulations, Coach Childress. Your award is in the mail. I have some other topics I'd like to talk about. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about, for me, what I love about sports. I'm not a big fantasy geek. In fact, I tend to make fun of stats of fantasy geeks a lot. Full disclosure, I am part of a fantasy basketball team, uh, team league, I guess, which is a little bit embarrassing because I mock fantasy fantasy geeks so much. I have a hard time with fantasy football and fantasy sports for a couple of reasons. The biggest one is that I don't understand how it is that people can conduct meaningful real lives and have big fantasy lives at the same time. And just a lot of fantasy people that I've seen, it, I've kind of felt like, why aren't you home with your family? Of course, maybe their families are like, God, I'm glad so-and-so has a hobby because we sure don't want them around here mucking things up, so maybe that's part of the appeal, but for me, it just seems like we do enough watching with sports and consuming of television uh, 
how about doing something instead of fantasizing about sports? The other thing I have a hard time with is, for me, sports is about clutch performance and championship men- mental game. It's about performing at the highest levels at the right time. It's about finding the guts to throw yourself in harm's way so your team can win a game. And so you think about that Super Bowl game where John Elway threw his body on the line and flew head over heels, and you kind of knew the Broncos were going to win the Super Bowl and he was going to get us. He just refused to lose that day. And who cares what his stats were, right? I mean, I think he had a pretty good game, but it was a Terrell Davis show that day. And another great example of great performance is what I find compelling in sports. Now, not everybody does, but I probably will make fun of Fantasy Geeks a little bit on this show. Uh, and I'll have to make fun of myself a little bit since I'm part of a fantasy league, which, by the way, is ridiculous. I have been fending off this one guy who is determined to get Gilbert Arenas onto, off my team and onto his, and the trades he proposed are truly wacky. I should dig some of them up during this broadcast at some point, but he, at one point, wanted to do straight-up Gilbert Arenas for Ron Artest. Now, Ron Artest, I guess I have a little bit of sympathy for Ron Artest because I think he's got some mental health issues, shall we say. So I have a hard time piling onto him, but I'm not a fan. And I'm really finding it amusing that this guy thinks he can trade Ron Artest for Gilbert Arenas. I guess he was hoping that I was a dork. And who knows, there do seem to be some people in our league that don't know anything about basketball, so maybe he was just hoping I was one of those. So, that was a fantasy league snafu, at least for this guy, not for me. Uh, and I am basically going to not do much with this league. I I got a random team lineup picked for me by the computer, and I really kind of hate my team, and I can't figure out how to get rid of players, and I don't want to waste whatever little time I have left in my week uh, swapping for fantasy deals. But Runner Test brings up an interesting subject, which I find fascinating as a fan, which is, are there players that you absolutely would not root for if they were on your team? And I've thought about this a lot because I'm a Boston sports guy. I live in western Massachusetts, and there's a lot of talk these days about A-Rod. Evidently, A-Rod's all geeked up to play for the Sox. He wants to sign on. Who knows why? We obviously don't need him. Maybe that's the appeal. And so the question is raised, are there any people that you just absolutely could not root for? If they got on your team, would you put your would you put the uniform away? Would you put it up in a closet and basically say, I'm done. I can't root for you. I can't root for this team until that player is off the team. Some people felt that way about Randy Moss coming on to the Patriots. Bye. I never really had that issue with Moss. His uh, play in Oakland was disappointing, but didn't you always feel like you could go over to Moss's house and light up a joint and, and have a really cool time? I always thought that about Randy. But there's a handful of players that I definitely would are deal killers for me. If they're on my team, I can't root for that team. Uh, one of them is Terrell Owens. Uh, I just I can't deal with him. Um, I respect his talent to a degree, though I've noticed that he has a hard time catching the ball sometimes. But obviously he's an impact player. I don't want him on my team. So if it's a choice between losing 
without T.O. or winning with T.O., I'd rather lose. I do have this theory that he's a bit of a locker room cancer, which is obviously not something I made up. But anyway, so T.O.'s on my list. I don't have many players that I wouldn't want on my team. I suppose if I saw some more of the rap sheets of certain guys, I would say no. Um, and I didn't make a complete list tonight for this show, so maybe I can revisit it in the future. But T.O. is one of them. Uh, A-Rod is another, and it's really hard for me to say exactly why, but I had just seen him in big moments act so petulantly and like such a baby uh, when he slapped uh, what's-his-name's wrist on the way to first base in that ALCS game. And then I saw him later yell at a player who was trying to catch a fly ball. He's, he's just he's just cheesy. He just I just think he's kind of a spoiled child, and uh, I really have a problem with how he and his agent sort of uh, what do you say uh, bash the side of the uh, World Series telecast in with their announcement about A Rod's pending free agency, and then of course the requisite apologies after the fact. But I think A Rod's a joke. If A-Rod signs on the Sox, I'm putting my Sox gear away until he's off the team. I don't think they're going to sign him, but if they did, I'm done. There's just something about A-Rod. There's something so repugnant to me about the fact that he asked for so much money without being able to produce in the clutch. I think he needs to humble himself and be a part of a team. I found this quote recently before he signed on with the Yankees that talked about how he was all about winning and that that's the one thing that was left for him to do. And yet, what he's really about is $30 million a year. Whoever pays him will get him. That's not about winning. That's about being a corporate whore. Congratulations. You're not on my team. I don't want you on my team. Uh, A couple other people, let's see, that I would not want on my teams. In the uh, professional basketball, Rasheed Wallace, not on my team. You're, You're a punk. I'm sorry. I know your teammates love you. But your baffling, inconsistent play would drive me nuts. You have more talent than anybody else. I'm not sure what your work ethic is off the court. I don't know. But I hate watching you get teed up. I realize that you're working on that. But the look of indignation every time you get a call, I don't respect you. I'm sorry. I don't want you on my team. So that's my partial list of people that I really don't want on my sports teams, and I will basically put my cap away. And I actually am a bit of a Cowboys fan, so I have to let go of a little bit of interest in the Cowboys right now. I just kind of want them to lose. I wouldn't mind seeing them go to the Super Bowl and watching them lose from there, so that's certainly a possibility. So we shall see. Um, Anyway. So now I'm going to check the headlines on ESPN.com and see if there's any other stories I want to comment on before I wrap up my first edition of the show. Taking a look here. Rodman to coach in WNBA. Maybe or maybe not. No. Pittsburgh Steelers rally. That was a good game. Uh, Pittsburgh Steelers rallying against the Browns. Uh, Ben Roethlisberger has been showing me something of weight. I think he might be back. Uh, I think they might be a pretty good team. I'm a little bit worried about the Steelers-Pats matchup, whereas before I really wasn't so much. 
think I have one other thing I'd like to comment on, which is the BCS. Uh, the BCS, to me, is uh, a joke. I think I'm a Kansas fan. I'm, it's always hard from week to week to figure out what's going to wreck the BCS the most. Uh, it seems to me that if Kansas goes undefeated, but is unable to get on top of a couple of the one-loss teams in the polls, so Kansas essentially finishes third but finishes undefeated, that that would be a big, embarrassing meltdown for the BCS. It probably would not be enough to wreck it, but it would be one of the biggest high-profile teams to go undefeated and knock it into the championship game since the BCS was created. I don't know how many times you've had an undefeated team outside the championship game and two one-loss teams playing in the game, but it seems to me that this would be one of the highest because Kansas will have to beat OU before it's all said and done. And so they will have that on there. And then I think they have to beat Missouri as well. So they'll have a couple on their win list that should be pretty impressive. So they'll be a pretty high-profile team. So I think right now it's all about go Kansas, go KU, wreck the BCS. Now, you know, you ask yourself, well, what is the solution if we're not going to have BCS anymore? What You know, of course it's not going anywhere, but what would I advocate instead I think I'm a, a fan of the eight-team playoff format at the end of the year. There has to be some way to balance the meaningful nature of the regular season. There's no question that that if you change to a bit of a playoff structure more than they have now, it does impact the regular season game intensity level a little bit. I realize that's going to bug some people. But I think that you can live without a little bit of the luster to make it a little better at the end of the year, a little more satisfying. For example, Ohio State. Let's say they finish with one loss, but they don't get to play for the championship. A couple other teams do. And it all comes down to when you lost. Well, that's kind of silly stuff. If you have a one-loss team and you got a bunch of them, they're pretty good. They should be playing against each other. It would be a ratings bonanza. The one thing I do agree with, uh, I think it's Colin of uh, the herd, the slot, but he makes the point that college basketball has really lost the regular season because of how much emphasis is on March Madness. And I would agree with that to a degree. So I, I think that there's a happy medium there somewhere, and I hope that college football can find it. Because right now, the only thing I'm rooting for is against something, and that seems kind of weird. Um, I'm a bit of an OU guy because I'm Oklahoma, but uh, I'm not a big Bob Stoops guy for some reason, so... It's a little bit of a mixed bag for me rooting for OU, but certainly OU fans are feeling a lot of gratitude right now towards uh, whoever just beat Ohio State, and I'm not remembering offhand, even though it just happened yesterday. So college football is not one of my big sports, but I think it would be a little more so if the if the playoff format makes a little more sense. So I have not been interrupted by any callers. Uh, and I have not received a phone call from a couple people that I thought were going to call the show today. I think I've had a fairly successful first broadcast. I'm not going to try to stay on the line forever and top what I've just said. I realize that every broadcast requires significant preparation, and I just recently had 
the idea to do this. So if you're an early listener, I hope you'll bear with me because my broadcasts are going to improve in their quality and content as I pursue this. There's one thing I do want to do before closing. I would like to read you a blog entry. I am the author of Resume Some Hell as well as the upcoming book, Free from Corporate America. And I also have a website, johnreed.net, where many of my essays and rants go. And that's J-O-N, by the way. And on johnreed.net, I have a web blog. And on that web blog, I have three separate blogs. And they're all about, basically, the encroachment of commercialism in modern culture. One of the web blogs is called Bad Sports. Um, one of them is called Corporate Horse, which makes fun of musicians that sells their songs. And one of them is called Mocking Ads, that kind of makes fun of advertising. And I'd like to read you one that I wrote about sports in my Bad Sports blog. And this one is about Emmett Smith. And the title of the blog entry is Emmett Smith. Hall of, Flame, Hall, excuse me, Hall of Fame football player in over his head analyst. And I put analyst in quotes. And I'm going to now read you this blog entry. One of the headaches of the Internet age. The blogosphere has reinforced the faulty notion that everyone has the right to an opinion. It's a charming notion, but it's not a belief I happen to share. I believe that everyone has the right to an informed, well-thought opinion. I don't care if the self-appointed pundit in question agrees with me or not, but I do care that they have given thought to all sides of an issue, and I really care that they have bothered to inform themselves of the basic facts. Nowhere is this problem more evident than in the case of the celebrity sports analyst. ESPN in particular has a habit of carelessly hiring analysts, whose only credential is their previous on-field accomplishments. The most recent offender is Emmett Smith, NFL Hall of Famer, and new ESPN football analyst. Now, I have a lot of respect for Emmett, and in the end, he may turn out to be an outstanding analyst. But early returns are not promising. The problem with the lifestyle of the professional athlete is that if they're not careful, their years with their team and their posse will leave them with a pretty myopic outlook. This could be the case with Emmett. His problems may be compounded if he assumes that because he is one of the greatest football players of all time, that he might have some of the greatest opinions of all time. Judging from what Emmett had to contribute to the Michael Vick dogfighting story, Emmett has a long haul ahead of him, not just in terms of learning how to inform himself before he opens his mouth, but in terms of distancing himself from his impulsive desire to stand up for his fellow athletes when the squeeze is on. Emmett's toe-stubbing debut as an analyst came when he appeared on the ESPN networks to offer up his misguided take on the Michael Vick dogfighting scandal. Emmett evidently decided it would be interesting to be the first person to speak on the topic who had not only not read the indictment, but who had not read an article about the indictment either. It's clear that Emmett knew, it's not even clear that Emmett knew an indictment had actually happened. The result gave the distinct impression of Emmett as fool, something we are not used to seeing. He's the biggest fish in the whole doggone pond right now, so they're putting the squeeze on him to get to everyone else, Smith said. Now, granted, he might have been to a dogfight a time or two, maybe five times, maybe 20 times. May have bet some money, but he's not the one you're after. He's not the one you're after at all. He's just the one who's going to take the ball publicly. Okay, but Emmett, Michael Vick is actually accused of helping to run dogfights and killing dogs afterwards. At the least, Vic owned a property where dogfighting took place. So, Emmett, you don't have to worry about betting on the fights, 
when your people actually run them. O and Emmett Vick is who the feds are after. They are, they are not squeezing him to get to somebody else. The reverse, they are now squeezing Vick's co-defendants to get to him. Perhaps that is unfair, and that is the story. But for Emmett, not only did he get his facts wildly wrong, but his whole theme, that Vic is being squeezed to get to the real target, is completely the opposite of what is actually happening. Perhaps Emmett was under the impression that this Vic saga is actually a made-for-TV series on ESPN, and that there is still time to rework the plot in the arc of the character to suit his Harry Potter fantasies of how mob stings and snare acts. Now, I doubt Emmett did much damage by these remarks. The story has got enough publicity, and Emmett's take is so wildly inaccurate that only the terminally misguided could have been further misled. But Emmett could potentially do more damage to less reported stories in the future if he continues to believe that running his mouth is the same thing as giving informed commentary. I suspect Emmett got a call from a man in a suit after this dopey segment. And the next time around, he will probably sound like he didn't just wake up from a long nap in front of his bust in Canton. I hope for Emmett's sake he prepares himself better next time. Otherwise, he will, he will remain lumped in with all those who have deluded themselves into thinking that their life experience automatically gives them a worthwhile opinion. Opinions are something you have to earn and maintain through self-education. If we all understood that and committed to it, the world would be a better place with better conversations. Now, the reason I wanted to read that entry to you, it, it was posted in July, so obviously you know, it's a little bit old now, but it hits on a few of the big themes of my blog and how I perceive the internet space in general, which is way too much uninformed commentary, way too much shooting from the hip, not enough thought, not enough self-education, and of course the phenomenon of the celebrity analyst and the overindulgence of taking someone's opinion who may or may not really know anything about anything. And what we're going to do uh, on this broadcast is try to make fun of that a little bit and call attention to people who have actually given some thought to the issues, as well as have a little bit of a good time with people who are not very good. So before I wrap up, I wanted to just briefly raise a Major League Soccer question that I really am confused about. And maybe someone will listen to this, and you can email me and let me know uh, where I stand corrected. But on Thursday, which Thursday afternoon, it was on Thursday, I watched uh, the New England Revolution beat some other soccer team uh, for their privilege of playing in the championship, which takes place today. It may have already happened. So basically, the structure was as follows. The Major League Soccer kind of has two divisions, like the NFL. It's sort of like the AFC and NFC. So the New England division played on Thursday. Then the other division played their championship game on Saturday, which was yesterday. And then the championship game, I think, was this afternoon. So I'm really struggling to understand how it is that one conference gets their championship. Okay, they get two days off before the final, and the other team had to play the next day. And this is soccer. You're running your heart out. I remember playing uh, soccer as a kid. I could not have played at the same level the next day, even as a kid, uh, after a big game. So, anyway, I just wonder if any soccer fans want to shed light into that, because to me that seems grossly unfair and idiotic. So, any of you soccer fans out there can uh, explain to me how it is that uh, that is a fair structure. That would be great. Uh, and I'm tempted to throw in a pot shot at the Amazing Race before I uh, end this broadcast. Maybe I'll hit that the next time around. 
So I think I've reached a pretty good stopping point here. I think before I go, I may try to get one friend on the line and see if we can do a bit of a preview of the upcoming sports week. So uh, what's going to happen now is you're going to hear a moment of silence on the broadcast, but it's not actually over yet. So just hang tight here, and I'm going to call a couple of individuals who may or may not be home. So you're going to hear a silence, and then I'm going to return to the call. So please hold. Looks like we're not going to have a call tonight. Tried to call a couple people. No one's picking up. So as the phone rings, we're going to say goodbye to the first edition of the Uncensored Week in Sports. I'll see you next week.